podcast is a podcast radio original. I'm Mark Pendergast and this is Podcast Radio and it seems now you can't switch on your TV or pick up your phone these days without being assailed by headlines lamenting the crisis taking place in our NHS. Whether it's nurses going on strike, long wait times for operations, ambulances queuing outside hospitals or stories of social care systems on the verge of collapse. There's undoubtedly a crisis going on in our health and care sector, but are we getting a full picture? And are we hearing about what's being done by the people in charge to try and put things right? A new podcast series from New Cross Healthcare, Voices of Care, has launched with the aim of doing exactly that, giving leaders and experts from NHS trusts, health boards and care associations the chance to share their thoughts on the challenges facing the sector and explain how they're striving to give the workforce whether it's nurses, carers, doctors or administrators, the tools and support they need to deliver high-quality care. The podcast is hosted by healthcare sector expert Sahail Mirza. He has 20 years' experience in the sector as a provider, writer and speaker. He's the author of the UK Healthcare Workforce Report, a wellness speaker and coach supporting the NHS workforce and a non-executive director of the Board of New Cross Healthcare. Well, for our goal in the NHS at the moment, as you know, is all all over the news. It's extraordinary strikes, huge delays, and we've seen vacancy numbers at over 130,000 in the NHS, 160,000 in social care, huge amounts of political pressure. So the thinking behind it, really, a new cross has a commitment and a vision to give the UK the healthcare system that it deserves by transforming and personalising the experience of care with... um, a local, national and global ecosystem. So with that in mind, what we wanted to do with the podcast was to go behind the headlines and actually see what is actually going on on the ground, what great work is being done to enable the healthcare workforce of the future. So amidst the debris and darkness of all the commentary that we're seeing on the news, there were you know, clear signs that people were taking an approach that could solve at least some of the challenges that the workforce is facing, because without an engaged and a properly supported workforce that the NHS and social care is going to be in a hugely difficult position to deliver any of the promises and demands. It seems to be, doesn't it, that there is a lot of very intelligent people working behind the scenes in healthcare with a lot of great ideas, a lot of brilliant strategies that could work and potentially would work if they were implemented, but the politics gets in the way, doesn't it? It can do, because obviously politicians, by definition, work in fixed timeframes, maximising it five years, which coincide with this. So some of the challenges that the NHS are facing are very structural and require a longer-term vision. So I think if people are given that to implement those things, then we have an opportunity to attack some of the things like the funding squeeze and the level of vacancies, etc. So I think there are some, as you say, people who have got some great ideas, but not not just that, Mark, they're, they're implementing those ideas in order to enable the healthcare workforce of the future. And that was really our goal, was to get behind those headlines and to share some of those ideas, some of the practices with people across the health and social care system. Does that leave you feeling more optimistic about the future or is it just something a little bit frustrating where you're thinking, if only these people would just let loose and could do what they needed to do. It's it's a little bit of both. When you get a chance to listen to some of the leaders that we've interviewed from Sir Jim Mackey, Sir David Nicholson to Professor Martin Green, Dr. Jane Townsend, yes, you 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 understand that actually it's a two-level process. I did feel and do feel optimistic that there is great work being done and actually innovative is being implemented that give us hope for the future. 
for all of us who have got a, a stake as citizens of this country in health and social care. But clearly they don't work in a vacuum. They work in political cycles and they work in the broader parameters of the funding that's required to support social care properly and indeed the NHS. Are we getting a distorted view of what's happening? I mean, I've got a friend, I won't, I won't name him and I won't name which ambulance service he's in charge of, but he's in charge of a regional ambulance service. And he was telling me privately that you know waiting time during COVID had gone from sort of nine minutes for a tier one call. It was, it was pushing up to 50 minutes and he had 100 more vehicles on the road. Is, are we getting a distorted view or is it as bad as people make it? Well, I think in the words, I mean, we all experience it. You're talking about a friend of yours. You know, we have family members, perhaps all of us or some of us who experience some of these frustrations, whether it's to get an appointment with a GP, attending hospital. I think the reality is, and this has been echoed by the people that, that we've interviewed, Sir Julian Hartley, who's about who's leading the chief executive at the NHS providers, which represents all the trusts across England. They are all saying, the commentators, that it's the worst workforce crisis that they've ever seen. So I think genuinely on the ground, Mark, we are seeing an extraordinary, that's built up demand, big waiting lists coming out of COVID. But a couple of things that I think do slightly distort the picture, I think quite media has its own agenda. It has to highlight these challenges quite correctly. It's, it's part of its role to unveil these things. But the broader context is important. A couple of things that came out of the podcast series from the people that we spoke to. Two things, funding squeeze. The last 10 years, 2010 to 2020, was the longest and tightest funding squeeze for the NHS in its history. So that is going to have a huge impact on what's going on now. And the second point is social care has also been starved of funding. And one of the reasons that causes the problems with delays like ambulances is that people are in hospital beds that should be in either their own homes or in care home settings. But because of the challenges around the social care system, particularly lack of funding, that's not being supported. So you can't see it in, in a, a silo, health and social care must be seen together as one continuum, as one system equally valid. It's been a cumulative effect, though, hasn't it? With it, Whichever politically way you look at it, either 10 years of neglect or 10 years of underfunding, depending on how strong you want to word it, and that has slowly crept up and crept up, and then we face this crisis now. This is a sort of culmination of it, isn't it? There's no doubt about that. I mean, Sir David Nicholson, the former chief executive of NHS England, in the podcast that we had with him, echoed the views that really ran across many of the podcasts and the numbers are the numbers in between 2010 and 2020 real-time funding increase for the NHS was 1.6 percent and that's against a historical average of 50 years prior to that at 3.7 percent so less than half so if you're funding something which is less than half its traditional and historical average that must over time have an effect and as you say, it's a cumulative effect. So when you reduce the funding for training of nurses, bursaries, etc., then you reverse that later. That's going to have an effect because you can't magic nurses and doctors overnight internally. So all of this has a broad effect. And that's also the background in some of the strike action that we're seeing. There's been historic funding challenges. I mean, nurses have effectively been asked to take pay cuts in real terms over the last decade. Who wants to do that? It, it is a, a real problem. I was reading something yesterday where they were talking about they've got to cap the number of doctors they're going to train this year. I think it's at 7,500. So obviously you're not going to fill those gaps with the, the current provision in training, are you? Well, you won't. And I think that's, again, consequence, as you say, of historical funding. So it requires an honest conversation around the fact that we've had this, let's acknowledge this 
to understand what the effect of it and then to, to take the action to see how we can expand the workforce by whatever means. And that includes international recruitment, something that's come out strongly in the podcast series from people that we've spoken to. They've welcomed international recruits, whether it's, you know, Richard Mitchell at University of Leicester Hospitals, David Nicholson, who I've mentioned before. We need international recruitment for clinicians to support us in the interim period while we, over time, develop and nurture our own talent. And it seems to be, doesn't it, with, with Brexit, you've now got a, a visa cost on top, which is going to squeeze it even further. Well, I mean, they, they have made amendments to make it easier for people to come. But the Brexit challenge, I think it, it's well established from the literature, from the think tanks, the Health Foundation, Nuffield Trust. It has clearly had an effect not only on the health and social care workforce, but in the broader labour market. It's had a big impact in terms of the talent that we can tap. And of course, uh, that will have an effect on the people that we can actually attract to the sector. So these are big levers that, together with the funding challenges, have made for this um, almost perfect storm of waiting lists, strike action, funding squeezes. But in amongst all of that, what we wanted to do in, for this series, for the Voices of Care series from Newcross, was to look behind that. How are we going to enable the healthcare workforce of the future right now and are there good examples of people who are taking that type of action, which we can draw inspiration from, notwithstanding the challenges that we're facing right now? So what sort of... I'll just stop a sec to the, the buzz from the phone. Mm. So, what sort, so what sort of things are people doing? What practical solutions have they got that are working now? Well, there's a number of things. I think one of the key things is that people have now seen a move from competition within the NHS, trusts and hospitals fighting each other for staff. That's been a historical element and move to a more collaborative model. The Health and Care Act last year established on a statutory basis integrated care systems. So people are taking a systems approach. So, you know, in a region, we're going to have cooperation and we're beginning to see that. This was something that came out strongly from Sir Jim Mackey, David Nicholson from the NHS, Richard Mitchell, Roisin Fallon-Williams. That type of collaboration, that spirit of the idea that actually in a whole region, we can draw on the workforce to come and work with. They can work across hospitals. And that also plays into the demand and preferences from doctors and nurses to have more variety in their careers. So this, this is what, that's a one example. Another example would be the role of technology and how that and that type of innovation, how that is actually being fostered to whether it's electronic patient records, whether it's robotics, all of these type of things help clinicians work at the top of their license and get more done in the time that they have. Professor Joe Harrison at Milton Keynes explained that process to us and how central technology has been and continues to be. So there's quite a lot of hope there over time. It's not a panacea. It doesn't solve everything overnight but it's part of the way to move forward because the other big thing mark and it's across his mission to cause advancements in the treatment that people have of care at home so we've seen a move to a community-based more community-based delivery of care and that has also provided innovation across primary care hospitals social care so there's a lot of connectivity and, and if we see people in social care get it beginning to get the respect that they deserve this has been called for from Dr. Jane Townsend at the Home Care Association, Professor Martin Green at Care England. That type of innovation and learning and development is the other one where I saw a big element of people being supported in a variety of ways to enter health and social care. That's an interesting one you just talked about there is the, the perception of these jobs. Is it a case that 
people are seeing what nurses are going through and doctors are going through now and it's putting them off entering the NHS and the same for social care as well. It, it's not been painted as being a very glamorous job, especially through COVID and everything else that's gone on. Now, look, through COVID, quite rightly, the health and social care workforce was lauded as our heroes as we battled that pandemic. And that pandemic is still here in, 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 its, in its different forms and we're still battling with that. So, yes that put a tremendous toll on the workforce in terms of work, burnout, wellness, etc. And that perception was actually, there is so much pressure going on here. Is this something I want to do? Counterintuitively, perhaps with that background, we heard and have heard over the podcast series, tremendous interest from people, whether it's in schools, local communities. Remember, NHS organizations are anchor institutions. They're often the largest employer in the local region. So we've seen examples within there and social care using apprenticeship schemes to allow people perhaps from sometimes from less privileged backgrounds a career path which wasn't open to them academically to earn to enter the nursing profession caring profession we've seen a lot of that and i think that gives us quite a lot of hope Raina somerson the ceo of agent care explained how she's been advocating social care as a career choice because of its fabulously variegated ways of supporting people in the community. We don't realize that social care actually employs more people than the NHS, about 1.5 million. And there are a variety of different roles, including a nursing, social care nursing is a really significant part of that. So I think there's this tension. Yes, there's a tremendous challenge. There's tremendous pressure. But the benefits for someone working in that sector to contribute to people remain very high. And we're seeing numbers coming back for people showing interest. But there are still, of course, these tremendous vacancy levels that have to be addressed. Is there optimism in the sector? Are people saying, well, there is light at the end of the tunnel? Again, we've seen from the podcast that there's a long way to go. And I think the key thing is to separate the contextual challenges. As I've said earlier, funding, that's a political issue that needs to be advocated and dealt with. Immigration, all of these type of larger policy contexts that will help in bringing the resources we need in terms of people as well as financial resources. But on the ground, the people that we had the privilege of speaking to have highlighted some great work that's been done and that have made a tremendous difference. So people now have got different entry points that perhaps weren't available a few years ago. Innovation, as I said, in technology has been tremendous. International recruitment, we're still seen as a country which can provide a great chance for clinicians to come and gain tremendous experience and contribute to them. We're seeing great advances in inclusion, equality and diversity. Roisin Fallon-Williams spoke immensely movingly about the idea that we've got to broaden that whole agenda and make people feel very much part of one family under the NHS. People promise, people plan. So I think on the ground there is plenty of optimism. Sir Julian Hartley, the chief executive of NHS Providers, spoke very eloquently about the transformation that took place at Leeds Teaching Hospital, where he was CEO for the best part of a decade. And adopting the world's best practices was able to empower the workforce, engage the workforce, become highly rated. So there is plenty of optimism, but there's plenty of doses of realism because there's some structural things that that continue to need to be advocated about. I think that's one thing we need to bear in mind, that the NHS is looked upon from abroad as kind of a shining light. And some of the people within it and some of the research that's done and some of the innovation that comes along from the NHS is world-beating, isn't it? Without question, the NHS and, in fact, social care in one system is very much respected. The NHS attracts workers internationally and always has done it. It's been something that all the people that we spoke to spoke with pride 
to be able to bring people from overseas with, with their families, help them to integrate, bring their own variety into the workforce and ideas and innovation. So the NHS remains really a shining beacon in all of this. And I think it's something that we should be really, really proud of. It seems to be that this podcast will cut through a lot of the, if you like, press talk on one side, the politics on the other, and give people a, a realistic and a real picture of what the NHS is like today. The goal behind the, absolutely right, the goal behind the podcast series was actually how do we enable the healthcare workforce of the future? Are there big initiatives that are be taking place? So we've talked about the change in terms of collaboration, integration, integrated care systems, but simple, sm seemingly small initiatives. So there's a cost of living crisis. We're all facing inflation at levels that some of us can remember decades ago, double digits. It has a huge impact on people's lives, including the health and social care workforce. But we're seeing wonderful initiatives. For example, Richard Mitchell at the University of Leicester Hospitals talked about the fact that they offered the laundry facilities at the Trust for free to their workforce. That helps because something like 14% of people's disposable income is used, believe it or not, on the energy that's used to, to, to wash clothes. So this seems, it's unglamorous, but actually we went straight to what's being done today to help the workforce cope with these various challenges. How has that been received? Another person, Laura Scaife-Knight, Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Kings Lynn, spoke about how they've absolutely embedded the idea of freedom to speak up guardians, people to allow an open culture. And that transformed a trust that was really failing and in tremendous problems to have a quite a significant turnaround in terms of staff engagement and from their CQC report. So you're quite right. What we wanted to do was tackle the big level headlines, of course, but we wanted to get underneath the bonnet, ask the questions that other people weren't asking. What are we doing today? What can be done tomorrow? What, what can we advocate? Free, continued free car parking for members of the workforce at some of the trusts is very, very important. So I think that was the goal of the podcast and the re responses we've been, get, been getting from people who've listened to it has been hugely encouraging. It seems to be, doesn't it? In times of great hardship comes times of great innovation as well. Absolutely. And I think part, part, one of those key themes there was to support the learning and development of staff, because that's part of the journey of a, of a clinician. And, and Newcross has a deep-seated mission to be the learning partner for life within the health and social care sector, offering free training for anyone who wants to enter the sector. And we therefore gave a platform from people from social care, James Tugendart from HC1, one of the largest providers in the UK, to really showcase how are they supporting people, whether it's apprenticeships, whether it's leadership training, how are they supporting people to develop their careers, bring out the best in themselves, because that's what will help with retention. If you're a carer, if you're an allied health professional, a nurse or a doctor, you want to be able to have a richness of experience and pathways that help you to develop your talents, your clinical talents and your leadership talents. And we've seen as part of the interview, people who began their careers as nurses and as doctors who have become chief executives. So I think that to me was a quite an inspirational part of the learning and development theme that came out strongly. Well, obviously the podcast has got many different episodes covering many different aspects of health, social care and everything else that goes into that. Give us two or three headlines that we can take from this and then we can delve deeper with the actual podcasts. 
Well, I think the two or three headlines for me, we have to celebrate longevity. Often the narrative that we see is that, oh, people are getting older. This is somehow portrayed as a burden. And therefore we have to deal with all of those challenges. The podcast that we had with Professor Martin Green from Care England, Dr. Jane Townsend from Home Care Association in particular, celebrate longevity, celebrate the fact that people have been living longer. How can we support that? How can we draw inspiration? Secondly, I guess, was the real commitment across all the luminaries that I had the privilege of sharing time with to support the well-being, the wellness of the workforce, not just mental health, but also their financial well-being, their physical well-being, their spiritual well-being. Those were really important elements for me that made a huge difference. And I think thirdly, the idea that actually there's opportunity within the NHS. If you have a passion for people, there's an opportunity. It's not perfect. Nothing is perfect, but there's an opportunity for you whatever your background, to take a leadership role, be engaged, take ownership of projects that improve the way things are done. Those three things, that third element came out strongly in the the time I spent with Sir Julian Hartley and his sharing of the insights at Leeds Teaching Hospital. Well, it seems to be the podcast will cut through all the hype, it'll cut through what the press say, it will cut through what the politics is and a sensible debate with real issues between sensible people. I think this could catch on to Hale. I don't know in this current climate, but I think this could catch on. We're really hoping so. That's kind of you to say so. And the feedback that we've had and what we've tried to do is to keep the perspective as broad as possible because we wanted all the state the stakeholders to have a say. So that's why we've interviewed people from the NHS. We've in- interviewed Sir Jim Matthews in charge of, of all the backlog, for example. But we also interviewed people, as I mentioned, from social care. And, of course, also from the private sector. So Justin Ash from Spire Healthcare, they have a huge role to play. It's important that we hear that that argument, that private sector involvement and cooperation, not necessarily as a competitor. We've heard from Neil Carberry, who's the chief executive of the REC that represents the agencies that supply workers in particular to the NHS and to social care. So I think we're hoping it catches on because we, we're, we want all the stakeholders to be have a say because all of them are important in terms of the landscape for the workforce. Sensible conversation with sensible solutions. Who'd who'd have thought it, hey, maybe we'll have a a word with some (laughs) politicians about that general (laughs) idea. It might catch on. I don't I don't won't hold my breath though. Thanks so much for speaking to us, Sahail. Brilliant insight into the podcast that we'll feature here on Podcast Radio. It's been a pleasure and thank you for the opportunity to speak with you about this really important topic. Sahail Mirza of the New Cross Healthcare Podcast. This is Podcast Radio. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.